Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I'm Neoma Finn. Well, it seems like no matter how hard I try, if I finally catch up on one thing, I get behind on another. Keeping up with these podcasts is no exception. I thought if I switched to once a week it would get easier, but here I am at the last minute trying to get this uploaded and ready for you. One of those things I'm so far behind on happens to be the topic of this podcast. You see, I've been writing a book. Technically, I've been writing three books. (laughs) Gosh, three books. Hmm... I just can't figure out why I'm so far behind on everything. Seriously though, I have been writing a book, and I've reached a stage where I'm going through and cleaning up various chapters, fleshing out a few characters, and rewriting a few scenarios. I honestly believed in May that I would be done with all of that by the end of June and the book would be in edits and published before I go to Gatlinburg for the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference on July 23rd. Now, I'm down to the finish line and, well... Oh, by the way, I'll be in Gatlinburg, Tennessee on July 23rd for the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference. Cameron Buckner will be there too, along with Nance from Buckeye Bigfoot. And I think D.A. Roberts is even going to be there. We plan on having a great time, so I hope you're planning on joining us. Okay, back to the book. I wanted to give you all a taste of what I've been writing, and I think chapter one is about as clean as I'm going to get it. So here's a sample to whet your appetite. I hope you like it. And now, my precious moon shadows... I present to you, Bogart Station, Chapter 1. Jack slammed the door shut and pressed his body against it. Sweat ran down his face as he gasped for air. He realized he'd squeezed his eyes shut when his eyelids began to ache from the pressure. Deep inhale. Hold it. Exhale. He looked at the ceiling. Please, God, he whispered. Deep inhale. Hold it. Exhale. Jack! Jack released a startled scream. Jack Allen Pierce, his mother said. What is wrong with you? I, I, he wanted to tell her, but how? She'd think he was insane. He bolted across the entry hall to the stairs. 
He was halfway up them before his startled mother was able to call after him. Jack! What in the world is wrong with you? Nothing, he yelled back over his shoulder. I have to go to the bathroom, he lied. The slamming of his bedroom door obliterated any further communications from his mother. In his bedroom, Jack threw himself across his bed and cried. A second later, he was up and at his window, searching wildly up and down the road. The events of the afternoon played through his mind in rapid repeat. School was out, and he and his friends were riding their bikes. The others wanted to go for lattes. Jack had other plans. He said his goodbyes and turned his bike toward Hobwater Creek. He'd followed the blacktop past his house, down the long, shallow slope to the valley, pedaled alongside the creek, then turned off onto the old covered bridge. It was no longer accessible to motor traffic, but pedestrians and bicyclists were still allowed. The planks beaded his tires and rattled his spine while sunlight strobed through the cracks in the vertically sided walls. It wasn't a long bridge, but long enough. Traditionally, the kids held their feet up as they passed through the portal, but Jack was in a hurry today. It was late October and the sun was beginning to set earlier. He wanted to spend as much time in his secret spot as he could. The road made a hard left almost immediately off the bridge to avoid a boulder that had been the reason for quite a few deaths back when the bridge was open to car traffic and safety wasn't a primary consideration for automobile manufacturers. It looped around the stone and headed back to the right, following the creek that had also bent and turned back. The dropping elevation was almost unnoticeable until the trees began to close in on the road and block out the sun. Then it began to feel almost like a descent into hell. Another mile and Jack would be at his destination. Here the road turned sharply away from the creek and began to rise. There was no shoulder on either side, only steep drops down into the wooded ravine below. Jack crested the little hill and pulled his bike to a stop. A nearly invisible path zigzagged down the steep incline and vanished completely in the woods at the bottom. Nearly a hundred trips down the rocky trail since he'd found this place last spring had made Jack an expert in traversing it. He did so now with enough speed to stop a mother's heart. He burst through the thorny bushes at the bottom where the repeated crossing had broken them back enough that they no longer scratched. Then the path took him another thirty yards or so through the dense woods and heavy undergrowth to where it opened into a glade along the bank of the wide Hobwater Creek. He carefully laid his bike in a patch of grass that had managed to grow in the dappled sunlight of the little glen, pulled his pack off his back, and went over to his primitive fire ring. He pulled out a box of kitchen matches in yesterday's newspaper, wadded up the paper, and began stuffing it into the nooks and crannies created by the wood he'd left piled there a few days before. Then he walked around the circumference of the opening and picked up all the dead twigs and sticks he could find and shoved them in on top of the newspaper. He held his breath as he struck the first kitchen match and held it to the newspaper. Success. It ignited immediately. It wasn't enough to get the wood burning, though, and he had to light three more pieces of newspaper before it finally took off. Even then, it wasn't burning like he'd hoped. Jack had watched his father build dozens of fires in his 13 years. He was sure he'd be able to create a roaring blaze in no time. What he didn't take into consideration was the recent rains that had dampened the wood he'd been gathering for weeks. More smoke than fire billowed out of the little pile, but he decided it was enough. He picked up his backpack and pulled out a hot dog, 
a packet of mustard he'd filched from the packet drawer in the kitchen, and a bun. All three were in a single baggie. The bun was soggy, and the mustard packet, covered in hot dog juice, proved difficult to open, but he managed. It took a while to cook the hot dog to black, like he liked it, but he ate it quickly and swallowed it down with a can of soda he bought from the vending machine at the gas station. He leaned back against an old stump and surveyed the woods around him. This was his kingdom. Here he imagined himself to be an explorer blazing new trails across the wild frontier, or a scientist searching for the elusive cure for cancer in some previously undiscovered plant. Sometimes he thought of himself as a bank robber, hiding out from the law, or even a shipwrecked pirate on a desert island. This was why he'd never been able to bring himself to share this place with his friends. Henry and Clive would have laughed at him. They were a few months older than he and clearly far more mature. Their interests were quickly turning to girls. Zita and Elsa were rarely around anymore for the same reasons. They'd matured past playing Robin Hood in the woods. Jack wanted to keep this place his own where he could still be a kid and not have to worry about being laughed at. Back in July, when he lied to his parents and snuck out here to camp for a night, he didn't bother to include his childhood playmates in his scheme. They wouldn't have wanted to do something so childish, he was sure. Besides, despite their proximity to a great expanse of woods that bordered fields and meadows behind his house, crossed Hobwater Creek several times and eventually became a state forest, not one time in his entire life had his parents, or any of his friends' parents for that matter, taken any of the kids in their neighborhood camping or allowed them to camp on their own. Both Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America had healthy, active chapters in their town, but none of the kids on their side of town belonged. It was as if their families didn't believe in camping. But here, in his private kingdom, he could be who he wanted to be, do what he wanted to do, play what he wanted to play, and be as silly as his heart desired. Right now, what his heart desired was a s'more. He'd pack the necessary ingredients for one in his backpack along with the hot dog and soda. He was about to get up and make himself one when he noticed an odd tree just beyond the edge of the clearing. At first, he saw only the one strange trunk that seemed narrower at the base and grew from the ground at an odd angle. Then he saw there were two identical trunks, each bending at the same angle and at the same height from the ground. From there, the trunks grew thicker, almost muscular-looking. The bark grew shaggier as his eyes traveled upwards. Just as his mind adjusted to the fact that the two trunks grew together into one, the trunk on the left lifted its leg from the ground and took a step forward. Jack's eyes snapped upward to a pair of red eyes that appeared to be glowing from within. Huge teeth with canines longer than Jack's index finger filled the gaping mouth under a black snout with nostrils that flared and inhaled his scent. Greedy hunger flashed across the creature's face and a massive paw came up to rest on a nearby trunk. But it wasn't a paw. It was a hand with claws where there should have been fingernails. Claws longer than Jack's whole hand. For just a moment it held Jack in its gaze, willing him to stand still. Jack obeyed, unable to break the visual embrace. It stepped closer. Jack's legs felt weak, incapable of movement. It emitted a low growl that might almost have been interpreted as a purr. Just then, an old truck rumbled down the road and backfired as it climbed the little hill. 
The sound crashed through the trees and broke the trance. Springing into action, Jack ran over and grabbed his bike. He maneuvered it through the woods with reasonable ease, but he had to dismount to get it up the hill. As he swung his leg over the seat, he glanced back over his shoulder to find the beast. The density of the woods prevented him from seeing more than a few yards, but he could hear it crashing through the underbrush behind him. With more strength than he knew he possessed, he pushed his bike straight up the incline without bothering to follow the crooked path. On the road, he remounted and pedaled as fast as he could, not bothering to look back again until just before the road rounded the boulder and proceeded across the bridge. It was there, pacing him. He knew it had the speed to catch him. It could have easily overtaken him at any point. His mind was whirling with questions as his tires hit the wooden plank deck of the bridge. It was an uphill ride all the way to his house, but fear and adrenaline coursed through his veins and pushed him onward. He was gasping and wheezing when he reached the front gate of the black iron fence that enclosed his yard. Relief rushed through him when he saw it was open. With a quick jerk, he lifted the front tire to pass over the single step formed by the end of the herringbone brick path that led to the front door. The bike's tires were still spinning in place when the front door shut behind him. Seconds before he crossed the wide veranda that embraced two sides of the old Victorian house, he took one last look at the road. It was there. He could barely make it out. It hadn't come past that last curve where the road disappeared down the hill. But it was there, and he knew it was watching him. It knows where I live, he thought as the door slammed behind him, and he threw his body against it. It knows where I live. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want a good scare, stick around. If you would, please consider following me, liking my podcast, giving me a thumbs up, a five-star review, or whatever it is people do when they want to let the people who stream these things know that they liked them. I upload every Thursday. If this podcast isn't enough, you can find my videos on YouTube under Neoma Finn Open to Doubt. If you have a story idea, you can drop me an email at neomafin at gmail.com. That's N-E-O-M-A-F-I-N-N at gmail.com. Or check out my subreddit at neomafin. I also have a Facebook page where I post updates and random thoughts. And finally, well, TikTok's on hold, so we won't talk about that right now. Oh, I guess we just did. Never mind. One more thing. If you'd like to help support my podcast, consider checking out my merchandise on Teespring and Redbubble. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you'll come again soon.